You're listening to the Together in Literacy podcast, a podcast for educators, families, and advocates that connects the research of reading, dyslexia awareness, and the whole child. We're your hosts, Casey Harrison and Emily Gibbons. As two literacy dyslexia specialists, we've come together to talk about literacy, dyslexia, and the connection to the social emotional impact that it has on our students, their families, and the educators who serve them. We welcome you to join us on this exciting and educational journey into dyslexia as we come together in literacy. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit us at www.togetherinliteracy.com. Thank you for joining us today. Let's get started. Welcome everyone to season three, episode 10 of the Together in Literacy podcast. I'm here with Casey. Hi, Casey. Hi, Emily. Hi, everyone. All right. So let's start off today with a little (laughs) teaser and see if you can guess what we're talking about in this episode. I want you to imagine that you are a learner that is new to English and someone says to you, can you lend me a hand? Imagine what that person that is still new to the English language has to process. First, there's the question, right? So decide, okay, this person is asking me something. What are they asking for? Second, they have to think about the word lend. Maybe lend is not a word they've ever even heard of before, right? Do they even know what that word means? So having to try and to decide the meanings, but also placing it in some kind of context with a question. Third, lend a hand? Does that mean they literally want one of my hands? (laughs) (laughs) This was a conversation that I was having recently with a student when we were talking about the meaning of hand. Hand different scenarios can mean both it could mean a noun or it could mean a verb Mm -hmm. and the point was that words had multiple meanings and so in that scenario it had it gives us pause it helps us to remember that a well-developed vocabulary is not only important in our conversations but also in the academic setting And when we are talking about our challenge learners with dyslexia, you may notice that their listening and their speaking vocabulary is actually very good. But when it comes to reading and writing, that's where they need further support. Mm -hmm. So today's episode is all about vocabulary. Now, listen, there there are whole books on... (laughs) vocabulary. There are whole courses on teaching vocabulary. We certainly can't get into everything, but what Casey and I have really worked hard to do is this. We are going to give you what we see as the eight essential components of vocabulary instruction, but under the lens of literacy intervention. Mm -hmm. And we're going to pull out each one provide a little bit of context, some examples, and give you 
our recommendations for using those particular components. Now, before we get into the eight essential components of vocabulary instruction under the lens of literacy intervention, ooh, that's like a really big mouthful <laughs> of a title, we would like to pause to make a very special announcement. As you may or may not have known, the Together in Literacy podcast reached this point over 200,000 downloads, which is really phenomenal right. and and we are in awe we are awestruck <laughs> it is awesome and we're talking about <laughs> vocabulary right we don't want all these related words so we had uh back in episode nine announced a little giveaway to celebrate and we want to announce the winner name today are you ready and the winner of the Together in Literacy podcast, 200,000 downloads giveaway goes to Katie G. Bear. Katie writes, thank you. I have been listening since the very first podcast, and I'd like to say thank you. I learn, laugh, and nod in agreement through each episode. Listening to each episode supports my practice of structured literacy, motivates to be explicit, prescriptive and diagnostic, and to give each of my students my best effort. You mentioned in this last episode how many of us feel like we're out there alone. This is true to my experience, and your podcast helps me feel connected and to know that what I am doing is the right approach to helping students with dyslexia become better readers and writers. Well, Katie, thank you so much for that amazing review and that feedback. We are so, so glad that you have found us and that you have felt connected to the podcast with each episode. You will be contacted via email with your uh, prizes. And once again, congratulations. All right. So Emily and I have said over and over on the podcast that language is the vehicle for learning. And if we think about how we get knowledge into our students' brains, it's through language. But as Emily said, that umbrella of language comprehension is vast. And we want to look at specific components that we can intentionally bring into our lessons to benefit student learning. So one of the big pieces that we talk about in education is the need to build vocabulary. As we said, language comprehension is complex. And we spoke more in depth about language in season three, episode three, called The Connection Between Language and Literacy. And so if you haven't had a chance to listen to that episode, it really is chock full of information about language within literacy lessons. And we talked about how language includes different aspects that set the foundation for the skills needed to read and understand text, which is our goal for our students, right? We want them to be able to read and understand what they're reading. And so these aspects are content, form, and usage. And so just as a really quick review to kind of anchor us today, content is the meaning of language, which is includes vocabulary, our topic for today, morphology and syntax. And form is the sounds that make up words and sentences and usage is the social aspects of language. All right, so for students with dyslexia, which is a language-based learning difference, 
form is the primary language aspect that tends to be impacted, right? So the phonological deficit that is identified at, in the current definition of dyslexia per IDA states that dyslexia typically is a result from a deficit in the phonological component of language. And we can link the full IDA definition in the show notes for, for you guys. But some of our students with dyslexia may have secondary consequences of this, right? Or even some coexisting differences, such as like maybe developmental language disorders, things that are going to impact the content of language. And so research in DLD actually is showing that 50% of our students with dyslexia have overlapping language concerns in the area of content or the way in which we're putting words together to make meaning. And then if we kind of go back to that national reading panel, uh, which Emily and I have talked about, which came out in 2000, yes, 24 years ago, um, it does state <laughs> that the importance of vocabulary knowledge has been recognized in the development of reading skills. Um, as early as 1924, researchers have noted that the growth in reading power relies on that continuous growth in word knowledge. And you can find that on pages four through 15. So what that really makes us reflect on is that as educators, therapists, practitioners, and parents working with dyslexic learners, we need to intentionally plan for and explicitly and systematically teach the language components. And so while language typically develops on its own for our students with dyslexia, they are going to require a more thoughtful and planned out approach to teaching that is going to support both word reading and language comprehension. And so today we really wanna just kind of discuss some strategies and approaches to help us address the content specifically targeting vocabulary. Yes, and with that is going to require a bit more intention in your mm -hmm. lesson planning. It really, yep. really is. And this is for the benefit of your students. So yeah. we are going to help you think about ways that you can be more intentional uh, when you're yeah. even looking at something as simple as a word list and how you can infuse language and vocabulary development into that list. Okay. So let's <laughs> think about that. When we're talking about our students who struggle with reading or may have, whether it be dyslexia or DLD, Think about we our vocabulary development. We know in, in through those school age years, it becomes incrementally harder. But think about the reason for that. These are the kids who are simply not reading the volume of text that your typical readers are because reading is harder for them. It's more challenging. They lose interest. Or sadly, they aren't getting the appropriate intervention. Okay. We know that to acquire new vocabulary, children, all children, not just people with dyslexia, need multiple exposures and repetitions, but the people with dyslexia need even more of that in order for them to comprehend it well enough to be able to not only read it and decode it and understand it, but also use it in their writing. So yeah. what's happening is this compounding effect. If we don't have a child that's reading, this becomes in, this enters into the cycle of what we call the Matthew effect. And so one of the hallmarks of the Matthew effect, which we discussed in season one, episode 13, if you're interested in this particular topic, the more a child's development falls behind the more they lag behind their peers and it becomes increasingly challenging to keep up if intervention is not targeted at their specific needs. 
So in essence, these kids are learning fewer words because they're not reading as much compared to their typical readers in their classrooms. So their vocab development cannot grow at an adequate rate enough to sustain them as they get into those harder texts. So we've got a combo of limited vocabulary, limited background knowledge, and what does that equate to? Weak comprehenders. Yeah, and Emily, I, I like that you mentioned that sustain them because sometimes even our students who may have, with dyslexia, who may test and show that they have high um, oral language or vocabulary early on, that tends to trail off if we're not being really intentional in continuing to develop that vocabulary and providing access to those higher level texts for them. So we'll kind of talk more about that, but. Right. And I think that many dyslexic children in your class can come across pretty savvy in conversations with teachers. Mm -hmm. And in a way, teachers may feel like, oh, these kids are great. They've got such high level vocabulary. But that is in their oral vocabulary, Mm -hmm. okay? Not as we get into the literate vocabulary. Yeah. So when we're thinking about our language acquisition, just kind of taking it back a little bit, we have just as a foundation, we've got our receptive vocabulary, right? That's our listening and reading. And we've got our expressive vocabulary for speaking and writing. And from those four, we break them down into oral and literate vocabulary. All of these things are essential. But in school, as we know, because it's an academic setting, we put a lot of emphasis on building the literate vocabulary. So if we have children who not only are struggling with decoding because of a deficit in their phonological areas of language, then we have to explicitly help them not only with the phonological part in their foundational skills to help them get primed and to ready to learn new vocabulary. And so Casey is going to get into what are the four levels of vocabulary instruction and how we should be targeting the words that we, we, when we're carefully selecting words for instruction. Yeah. And I, and I think it's important to note that, you know, when we're looking at a child's expressive and receptive vocabulary, that often that receptive vocabulary is going to be larger than the student's expressive vocabulary, which is another reason why we want to be very intentional in our teaching of vocabulary so that we're providing our students with a deeper lexicon that becomes enriched where they can then themselves use that in their expressive language, both orally and in written form. Right. So when we're we're thinking about, you know, the four levels of vocabulary, and if you've studied um, any work by Isabel Beck and some researchers, you know, and you may have heard of tier one words, tier two words, tier three words, things like that, we can kind of anchor our knowledge here in that. So if we're thinking about level one words, right, or those tier one words, yeah. Yeah. These are the words that we're using in our everyday language, right? They're words that are spoken repeatedly. They may be used in different ways in our daily lives, but they're really well-known 
words, right? Those are going to be those basic sight words or basic words that function words that our students need to know. And as they translate into um, literature or reading, those are those more simplified words that the kids have some connections to. Usually we we don't have to necessarily, as, an, as a native English speaker, you, you would not have to really do a lot of intentionality in building level one vocabulary. If you're working with students that are English language learners, then you, you are going to have to intentionally plan for developing level one words. And then as we move into level two words or often in, in education, it's referred to as tier two words. These are the words that we're teaching, right? There are words that we're learning as we're reading. You may be able to pick them up from the reading that you're doing, but this vocabulary is very important for our educational success, right? So these are going to consist of a lot of those high frequency words that we're using, words with multiple meanings, and really, those are words that they might not often be taught directly because they're going to appear common, but really they may not be understood by our students. And so we should be really intentional in determining what tier two words we're going to choose. And I know we've spoken about this in previous episodes, but when we're looking at tier two words, you want to kind of think about what, what is the word, what words are needed for my student to be able to understand the text and what are those tier two words that kind of transfer across content areas. Okay. And then if we're right. thinking, yeah, oh, so thinking of the word, like, like some adjectives, things like the word sly, let's say you were reading yeah. a fable, of the Fox. Yeah. And one of the words in there was sly. And as you are pre-reading that text, you think, Hmm, well, that's a word that, you know what, they're going to encounter it in their reading. And sure. Adults know what it means. We know it's an adjective, but it's it is really essential to understanding Fox's character role. And so we need to know what the word sly means. So yeah. there's an example. Tier, tier yeah. And, and even words that we often use in directions, right? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, let's, you know, summarize or determine or the words like those are things that we need to, to ensure that our students understand as well. Right. Like find the sum or, <laughs> or no, yeah. wait, I've got one in math. If the directions just say compute, Right. Yeah. Like, okay. I, I can't tell you the number of times I've had to say compute means solve. It yeah. means that's all. Yeah. Like, so thinking about those academic words, right. students need to be able to access the text, access understanding, and that really transfer across a lot of the content areas. Okay. Our tier three words, these are really going to consist of more like specialized vocabulary words that are going to be targeted for specific classes, oftentimes academic vocabulary, or if, you know, if we're professionals, those are the words that are operating within our profession, right? Like, so in the area of dyslexia, right, we have a lot of terminology that we use. Those are, those would be our level three words. And then level four, this is really just going to be those words that are pretty obscure, used infrequently. So what we want to think about when we're planning our lessons is to determine what are those level two and level three or tier two and tier three words that are going to be necessary for our students to be able to pull meaning from what they're reading or from our conversation, right? If we're building expressive or receptive language and, and thinking about what that vocabulary is going to be, what, what that vocabulary teaching is going to entail. 
So kind of thinking about that. And so we're really going to be looking at this sort of through the lens of those tier two and tier three words that we know are needed for our students to have access to, to aid in their understanding of reading of text. Okay. Casey, thank you for going over those uh, levels or tiers of vocabulary mm -hmm. instructions. So the tips that we're about to share are ones that you would be using with your uh, level two, level three, or tier two, tier three words. And I think that if, if you are new to education, that's something that takes a little bit of practice to determine. Yeah. Certainly, if you are following a scripted reading anthology series and you have your teacher's manual, that those vocab words are probably going to be laid out for you and, and shown to you the ones that you'll want to emphasize that really drive character development and plot or help particular content areas, things like that, right? right? And um, I think it's important to note too that, you know, students are going to learn vocabulary in multiple ways right. and that the lexicon is going to grow with their age. So, you know, in preschool, an average preschooler is going to be learning about five new words per day, right? And then as we move into sixth, into first grade, by first grade should have about 6,000 words in their lexicon. And then through each year, they're increasing that number that they're learning 2,000 to 5,000 words so that they, by high school, we have 25,000 plus words in our lexicon. Now, with that being said, that's a lot of words and we certainly can't teach all the words out there. So how do we, <laughs> how do we do this? Why not Casey? Why can't we teach all the words out there? <laughs> There's not enough time. No. So, you know, that, that again, kind of comes into that intentionality and really being mindful about what are the vocabulary words that you're teaching that need to be explicitly taught versus those that can be implicitly learned. So when we're thinking about that, right, our first tip is to build the foundation skills of reading, right? Really work on developing that receptive and expressive language and to use that academic language or use that higher end vocabulary with our students so that we're paving the way for phonology so that they're hearing those words and it's coming into their phonological lexicon. Anytime that someone mispronounces a word, often it's because you know what, they probably learned that word by reading it, not necessarily by hearing it first. So they didn't have that, that pronunciation to attach to. So and I mean that like within the, like within like as adults. So like when I read Harry Potter and I think I've mentioned this before, like I did not read Hermione's name the way, the way that it was written was not how I was reading it in my mind until I saw the movie. And I was like, oh, yep. Read that name wrong the whole way through, but <laughs> that happens. Right. So sometimes if, if someone is an adult is, is maybe mispronouncing a word, it, it's most likely that they learn that word through reading through Here's a really silly, for... silly example in conversation. So last weekend, my husband loves film noir movies, but he also loves loves Alfred Hitchcock movies. And he thinks that our children should be starting to, as they get older, become a little more exposed to them. I did not approve of him putting on the birds. You can probably <laughs> guess why. I mean, come on. So we put on rear window. Okay. So one of my sons, who's 11, twin boys here, one of them came into the room and said, what movie is this? And as you know, in Rear Window, the the movie takes place right at the window. <laughs> like you're looking out <laughs> of the window the whole time. And 
I we said, oh, we're watching Rear Window. And he said, what's so rare about that window? That doesn't look so special to me. And I said, no, it's rear window, right. not right. rear window. <laughs> However, it showed me that he actually has developed his understanding of the word rare, not just mispronounced. Right. Yeah. Right. So yeah. there you go. Oh my goodness. But yes, yeah, and we can oh, break a down the right? story. Yes, I love it. And we can yeah. really break down and think about, you know, did the child misread the word or right. did they have a mispronunciation? But yeah. you know, understanding that one of the things that we can do truly is to use words so that students are hearing words and those are becoming part of that phonological lexicon, part of that receptive language. So that when they do come across an imprint, they they can attach it to, oh yeah, I've heard that word, right? Right. Um, and then along with that, right, we're connecting that to the orthographic representation. So as we're saying the word, we're also writing the word out so they can see that orthographic representation and even looking at the morphological features. So really doing like an analysis of the word where we're talking about the pronunciation, we're talking about the spelling, we're looking at the morphological um, features as well. Right. And, you know, one example, I was teaching QU as a lesson the other day with the student, and it was, was not simply just a phonics lesson. We, so we began with certainly with some phoneme graphing mapping and mapping those words out and, and focusing on spelling them one at a time. And one of the words was quite and just based on our experience, and we can all are, and we're all in agreement with this, in people's writing, we notice the word quite and quiet get confused quite a bit in, in as a spelling error. And so I said, is quite the same meaning as this word, quiet, mm -hmm. and wrote them both on the board to look not only at the orthographic differences, but also really noticing the meanings behind them. And yeah. what we did at that point was provide talk about examples, like with quite, what does that mean? I said, well, oh, if I said that was quite a small mouse that just ran by, what do I mean by that? I was like, oh, well, it's like pretty small or very small. And I said, but quiet. And, he's, and the student was like, no, that means like, shh, shh right? Yeah. yeah, that means without a sound. So by attaching meaning to those two words, but also looking at the phonology and the orthographic features, yeah. that is going to really be a much more long lasting exposure to the word that will help that them remember it. It just makes it a more memorable learning moment, I suppose. It really does. And, and you know, there's a strategy for Marianne Wolf that she mm -hmm. details in her book, The Proust and the Squid, but where it's possum basically, right? And you have that phonology. Yeah, that's a rainbow. That's yeah. a rainbow. <laughs> yeah, semantics, right. syntax, understanding, and then the morphology. And so if we're really being mindful and intentional and really explicitly teaching vocabulary through those aspects, I think that will really support our students in language development. Absolutely. Love Ravo. I really, really highly recommend the training in that program. It was fantastic. 
did that a few years back. Yeah. Right. And they use that. Yeah. And you can read in detail because that strategy is from Marianne Wolf in yeah. the Squid. And so she really dives into that. But you can find, I think like the Iowa Reading Research now has like a worksheet you can grab that has possum and lots of people are are using that that um, yeah. approach. So. That acronym. Okay. Yep. So the next tip. So uh, Casey went over tip number uh, one. So tip number two. We want to provide multiple opportunities and exposures to new vocabulary, both in incidental and explicit explicit settings, but also in different contexts. So mm -hmm. if we're explicitly teaching the vocabulary and we're breaking the word apart and we're looking at its features and we're talking about examples and non-examples, those are examples of things that we do are doing explicitly, right? When mm -hmm. we're talking about it in incidental settings, that is where it becomes more conversational. Like perhaps there are opportunities in your morning meeting or in other conversations that you have with your students throughout the period of a lesson or a day that that can be woven in to the conversation or just prompting them you know, with scenarios where they have to come up with replies where they have we're utilizing that new word yeah but also in different contexts so that is another reason to for instance in the book bringing words to life isabel beck really provides a lot of examples of providing ways to build new vocabulary into different contexts and a questioning strategy that is just so so beneficial but i think above all, all this and a lot of the research is when we are providing them with the multiple opportunities and exposures to the new vocabulary, we're helping them and guiding them with kid-friendly definitions. And that is purely to make it just more accessible. And for our kids who may be challenged with reading, that's going to be especially important. Excellent. All right. So we have some strategies to help us really, number one, right? Strategies to help us with building some of those foundational skills where yep. we're looking at like possum, that phonology aspect, orthography, semantic syntax, understanding and morphology. Number two, really helping them with multiple exposures and guiding them with those kid-friendly definitions, which are mm -hmm. so wonderful. That makes that really accessible to them. And then as number three, right, we also want to make sure that we are having, we're providing direct instruction and, and multi, of multiple meaning words. Those multiple meaning words, I think sometimes we may fall into a habit of, oh, we'll address that in third, fourth, fifth, and, and beyond. But really, if we're looking at the layers of the English language and we have Old English, Anglo-Saxon, you know, our French Latin influence, our Greek influence, that first layer of old English, Anglo-Saxon, there are so many multiple meaning words there. And guess where we read those? Those are going to be in our kinder first grade words. Big so time. <laughs> a lot of words that are multiple meaning words. We can start having conversations, create webs, create, you know, we can do semantic webs. We can do all sorts of highly engaging activities to help students understand that words can be used in lots of different ways. So even in, you know, with an early word, a CBC word like run, right? The word run, uh, super simple. We're reading that in kindergarten. Well, there's 16 noun uses and 41 verb uses. Yikes. 
<laughs> Plus we have like, you know, oh, is your refrigerator running? Or, you know, we have lots right. of different ways for using these words. And so we want to engage students in conversation that is helping them understand that language is used in multiple ways so that we're, we're directly teaching that to our students. Right. And here's another example when we're talking about multiple meaning words, but also how they are used in different contexts. So for mm -hmm. instance, when I had a lesson just last week on some words with final consonant blends, then we noticed, well, I noticed at first before teaching that many of the words really lent themselves to talking about whether they were acting like nouns or verbs. So we looked at the words and categorized them. For instance, the word hand was one of them. So we talked about how, okay, hand, you know, your appendage, right? A part of your body. But also when I say, can you hand in your homework? Right. Right. Or uh, the word stump was another one. So, right, like the tree stump, but also, oh, wow, you're really stumping me with that question, right? So there were just some great conversations that you can infuse with a word list, especially, you know, for all you Orton-Gillingham people out there. These are your opportunities for building in language big time this is not just about the phonology at all right so we can be categorizing for parts of speech mm -hmm. we can be thinking about different meanings maybe and with our younger kiddos you might have them be illustrating with pictures or you may have those visuals to share lots of different things but multiple meaning words are going to be critical in our instruction and also helping students to recognize, yes, words have multiple meanings. That is another one of the hallmarks of the Revo program. They have, what is it? MIMS, many interesting meanings. I believe that's the acronym that they use. So I love that. So we just had direct instruction of multiple meaning words. That was number three. But for number four, since our brains, a brain-based activity where our brains are always categorizing information, right? That's how we process. We categorize information and, you know, how to, when we think about ourselves as busy moms, Casey, oh my gosh, yeah. we're constantly multitasking. And where yeah. are we going to compartmentalize the information that is rapid fire at us all day long? Like who's getting to baseball? What are we having for dinner? Oh, the laundry's not done and the dog needs to be walked. So how are we going to, where are we placing all that? That, of course, is in our everyday lives. But in the academic setting, when we're encountering new vocabulary and we know that these words may have common features, then we can use an analysis chart called a semantic feature analysis so that we can start to begin to look at the relationships between words. This is going to be particularly helpful in your content areas. So let's say you are doing a study on plants, the life cycle of plants, and you're thinking about well, what do plants need and all of the words that kind of brainstorm have to do with what plants need. They need soil and sun and water. And then all of the words that have to do with actions of plants, say plants. Mm. Well, let's see, their leaves spread out, 
their roots grow. And so think about as you are having those conversations, all the words that start just springing up in conversations. And now we want to jot those down and make a recording of them on paper with children. This is our scaffold. Scaffold. Oh, we love talking about scaffolds in this <laughs> podcast. We have a whole episode on scaffolds, by the way. I forget what number it was, Ew. but it's in season three. I have to look back. So we anyway, well, this is the scaffold to help children begin to see that words have not just particular features, but relationships. Yeah. Okay. I, I like <laughs> using, you know, I think teachers are are familiar with using a semantic analysis in terms of looking at like comparing stories or can you know, comparing elements of a story, but broadening that into looking at that word analysis and using it that way, I think is really powerful for, for our, our students as well. Yeah. So, all right. So number five, we kind of alluded to this in number one, we were talking about possum, but really we want to teach our students to find those morphological clues, right? Those morphemes, that smallest unit of meaning that are going to help unlock that deeper meaning of the entire word, right? So we are going to help students understand that when we see suffix ed, that's indicating past tense, right? Pull that off. Or if we have the part of speech like act, we can take it to active, we can take it to activate and, and so on. And so we really want to help students build that morphological awareness so that they can use it, yes, to read the words, but to really, that brings in the meaning and that is so important for our kids. And we can build in looking at beyond prefixes and suffixes, looking at roots, right? Latin roots or Greek combining forms so that our students are building meaning with those, with those words as well. And I found that that is really an aha moment for students when they start to see how the words are put together and how the meaning is impacted. And one thing I want to just kind of notice as we're looking at vocabulary development, a lot of times we may think of that within the constructs of language in terms of like oral language or reading, but we also want students to be applying that to their written language. So I'm going to be looking at how are my students using their morphological knowledge within their writing as well. I for me personally, as a teacher, it was a major aha moment for me because in my own schooling and in my pre-service teacher days, I was never shown the morphological clues in a way right. that would help me unlock the meaning to and never explicitly taught that that suffix is dictating your part of speech. Right. That when we add I-V-E, then we have made it an adjective because I-V-E is an adjectival suffix. Mm -hmm. When we add A-T-E, that is a verb suffix. So from active to activate, once kids can unlock those morphological clues, when they look at a word and they pull off that suffix and know, oh, that's a noun suffix, I-O-N. All right, this is a noun I'm dealing with right now. And that mm -hmm. means this, that right. is so, so powerful 
And we can start that at a young age. Absolutely. I actually start morphology work in kindergarten, but really even before then, right? When Mm -hmm. we're working on that oral language development and you have kids that are saying, oh, I jumped it in the pool. Oh, I jumped in the pool. They're they're playing with that. They understand that it's some form of past tense, but I'm not quite sure how to say that yet. So we want to just develop that oral language use, but also building into that understanding and that morphology component. And I just want to, you know, highlight again, that when we're picking out those vocabulary words to use, we want them to be connected to what we're learning. We want them to be connected to the text, not Mm -hmm. just here's a list of all of the prefixes and suffixes, and let's just learn them in alphabetical order. Like, (laughs) I, we want them to have meaning and we need to be really intentional with the words that we're using, the, the, you know, the vocabulary that we're spending our precious time teaching, what, what is going to be the most beneficial for our students to be able to help them unlock the meaning of the text and transfer that over into new learning as they move forward and they're applying it across multiple areas. Right. I definitely agree with you there. There can't be this isolated list that has really no meaning Mm -hmm. or context or relationship to what is going on with your other content areas. And I know there are plenty of packageable programs and workbooks out there that Mm -hmm. give you your vocab list, you know, and I know listeners what those are and they are are given a lot of repetition and exposure and there's exercises where they're practicing those words but what is the transfer of knowledge right into their own writing into their own speaking into their reading wonder what that transfer really is when we can look so isolated and piecemeal and so we want to be really really careful with that number six is we want to, and I know we've alluded to this already, but we do want to be able to analyze the spellings of these vocabulary words, okay, the orthographic features and representations of the word. And when we're looking at that, what I would recommend is looking at the words and building out lists of words that are related in that way and looking at those different orthographic features and how they change. So for instance, what we just said, act, active, activate, actively. (laughs) And looking at, um, are there any suffixing rules that are being applied here? The suffixing rules are really, really, really (laughs) important because they come up so dang much all the time. And if there was like, I don't think we need to do a whole episode on suffixing rules, Casey, but <laughs> I, I love really talking do, about that. And I would love to have that conversation, but this is what we mean. Like really, you know, the doubling and the Y to I and the E drop, mm-hmm. that's what we're talking about here with su- suffixing rules so that they can see the different changes in the orthographic feature, but the morphological awareness that's built in there that is changing of hard speech and and will be uh, adapting the meaning however the words are all related to one another okay yeah. i i may have gone off on a tangent there i'm sorry <laughs> but i think people get what i mean 
Yes. Yeah. We just, we want to have, bring that awareness to that, the orthographic representation, right? That spelling of those words and, and all of the things that that entails. And every time we do these episodes, I'm just reminded of how much of an onion, um, I, I have yet to get to the center and I've been at this for a couple decades. So, right. And Casey and I kind of like finish each other's sentences for one another, like when we're making our notes, like, oh, okay, yeah, exactly. But we also realize that, yes, this is like such a broad topic. And as I was just talking about number six, I realized, wow, you talk about suffixing rules when we're talking about this too. Yes, right. How <laughs> okay. And I think that just highlights the need to be really intentional mm-hmm. and to not do things in isolation because yeah. they don't exist in isolation. Nope. Right. Yeah. All right. So number seven, let's kind of talk about what is this going to look like in our classrooms, right? So we can be really intentional about the use of graphic organizers. They're a great tool for our students, particularly students that may have trouble with organizing their thoughts or keeping things aligned, or that you may need to sort of help alleviate some of that cognitive load, right? A graphic yeah. organizer that is well-designed does exactly that. It really serves as a scaffold for our students and it can be tailored to meet their needs. So what we want to, to be really intentional about, what are the graphic organizers that we're using to target our specific goal, right? They're not all the same. So we can have graphic organizers that help us analyze words, right? And we Or we can look at that semantic analysis. That's an example of a graphic organizer that we can use. They're just really going to aid students and help support their vocabulary development and just highlight some of those features that are necessary for our students to be able to access learning. Some of the favorite ones that we have, Emily and I both, as I said, we both love the semantic feature analysis. The Freyer model is one where, you know, we really like that one. It's going to have the word, you're going to analyze the word, you're going to have examples and non-examples the use of the word within a sentence. Those are really beneficial for our students in terms of making those chosen tier two vocabulary words come to life and just really be something that they can come back to. So those are great resources to use. I want to remind everyone a couple notes about scaffolds. Well, I'm sorry, about graphic organizers Mm -hmm. as scaffolds. Yes. First of all, I've said this a few times, but there are so many cutesy graphic organizers out there. Some are just adorable. And I think it's really important that we remember what a graphic organizer is, is Mm -hmm. actually to help your, your children, your students to make a visual image imprint on paper of what they should be doing in their brains. Mm -hmm. It is helping them visualize meaning so that the scaffold is to help them transfer so that they begin to make that mental image inside their own brains so that when they are in an independent setting, reading a chapter book on their own, a textbook, about to write an essay, mm-hmm. then they begin to organize information in the way that they may have practiced in the graphic organizer. Knowing that and what the purpose of the graphic organizer is, it's the scaffold. I think it's really important that when we are teaching specific skills that we stick to 
the same graphic organizers each time and not to vary off like the cute but this is a cute snowman shape yeah. but this is but but it's saint patrick's day no we should be sticking to the same image so that our kids can begin to internalize that image each time if we're teaching compare and contrast we're going to use that dang van diagram every time yeah right or t-chart i am so glad that you brought that we have to be consistent in the graphic organizers we use with our kids absolutely i'm so (laughs) glad you brought that up because i was getting ready to jump in and say that too i love it yeah we especially for our students with dyslexia right if we are not a teaching them how to use a graphic organizer helping them transfer that understanding of why we're using it. And right. then if we're not providing enough opportunity to use it, it is really a waste of our time. So we yeah. have to be intentional with the graphic organizers that we're choosing. And as Emily said, we we need to pretty much stay consistent so that our kids can have practice using it. And then it becomes a tool. Yeah. Without that, it is, it is really not beneficial. So I like to choose graphic organizers that are really basic that I can apply across disciplines. So Mm -hmm. whether we're reading a social studies text or science text or things like that, I can, I can use that. And I like ones that are pretty simple that my students can take into the classroom with them. That is my whole goal. I am trying to teach them things that they can take with them and apply in their general education classrooms. I like ones that my kids can just draw on their own in their notebook. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> they, well, they just simple, because simple. they remember how it looks so much because I've given them one so so often. Absolutely. Right? After a while, they just know how to draw one on their own. Yes. And they um, know for all the fun things. Yeah. So. Like I was teaching math years ago, fourth grade, and boy, my kids could draw an in and out box, like no tomorrow. They just knew that that was one of their strategies that they could use. That's a graphic organizer. That's a scaffold right there that they were solving problems with in and outs. And, um, that's just one example of the content areas. And, and thinking about vocabulary too, maybe your, maybe your students draw a matrix. Right. And and they are, you know, they put the root and then they are having prefixes that could go along with that root and suffixes that go along with that root and they are building words. So if we're looking at, you know, through that lens of vocabulary, that is another great graphic organizer that you can use to help students just sort of break down and analyze language. Yeah. And another one that I really like to use in the pre pre reading phase mm-hmm. is, I'm sorry, I know there's probably some official name for it, but Casey and I are just, I, I can't, I can't remember, <laughs> I don't know. Our We're word retrieval is not so great on this one. I know <laughs> there is a name for it. Anyway, we're calling it this really convoluted name. So we're just calling it the pre-reading word analysis chart. How, yeah. how lovely is that? Anyway, so this is a chart that would have the new vocabulary in the first column. And then you would have a series of questions in subsequent columns, like first column, they could just make check marks. I have seen this word before. Or heard this word before. Or heard this word before. Mm -hmm. Next column, I've seen or heard this word before, and I can give you an example. Right. So the next column is, I've seen this word before. I can give it an example. I put in a sentence. And then the last one might be, nope, not sure about this word at all, but 
here, I can give you, I'll give you the meeting after I read something like that. So that is not only helping you find out what their prior knowledge is of the words, right? But also helping them become more metacognitive. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and we talk a lot about metacognition and we have a whole episode on metacognition. And I'm going to, yeah. just so I don't lose that number to give you we talked about metacognition oh my goodness casey it was in season one yeah and that was episode 1.3 there you go okay. so just on. remember yeah. that if you're wondering metacognitive tasks and so these types of analysis charts before we're reading kind of get you mm -hmm. thinking about these words it's also just like priming that that brain to want to find out what that word means right and and one thing then that you can do right after you've done that word analysis is you kind of go back and you refine your definition put it in that kid-friendly term which we talked about in number two yeah. um, and then one thing that you can do is we want to provide students opportunities to use that vocabulary word. So you can create, like we used to do this silly little thing like called word wizard. And the kids would, every time that they would be either A, use the word or hear that target word, they could put a little tally mark and we would see how many new words we were growing. And it was just a silly little way to do it. But it, it brought their awareness to using those tier two words and listening for those tier two words right? Because we want to develop that lexicon for our students, right? That expressive receptive language. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And just, just to go back, you were suggesting the Freire model. I love the Freire model mm -hmm. for the examples, non-examples. That yeah. is a great opportunity to build in your work with um, synonyms and antonyms. Absolutely. So excellent suggestion there. All right. So we've gone through the first seven and on to number eight. So this is our last tip. And that is especially important for our kids who may have these learning differences, such as dyslexia. And that is to really employ or use as needed assistive technology as additional support. Now, let's just talk briefly about assistive technology. First of all, some people may not know uh, what to use. Right. But in order, I feel, feel for assistive technology to be useful is to not only provide time to train that student and how to use it, but also thinking about how it can be used in different scenarios, not just in the school setting, but is this also something that can be useful at home? Mm -hmm. So like, but they're homework or something like that? Is there a particular app that is going to transfer, not only be useful at home, but also in school? And also noting that when we give them these assistive technology tools, it is something to support them at that time. It doesn't mean they always need it. The other thing is, I think, in, or another reason for that we want assistive technology to be effective is when we have buy-in. That means like not, well, I tried that once and right. I just couldn't get it to work. So I just gave up. That is common when we are thinking about different assistive technology tools. So mm -hmm. we want to make sure that we have that training put in place. Yeah. And I also um, like 
And it's yes. listed as additional support, not replacement. Of, right, right. Uh, appropriate instruction. Right. So uh, we will link to an article that lists some assistive technologies that you can use. But some of them include some puzzle makers with words, visual dictionaries, which are great. Like Merriam-Webster has one. We have another interactive dictionary, Anthosaurus, called Snappy Words. We have one that builds uh, word associations called Tag Galaxy that you could check out. Another visual dictionary is Lexipedia. Yeah. And one that I wanted to try out is, and I haven't tried this before, is called Word Sift. So if you place a word into a text box, it creates um, word clouds. And I used to do that quite a bit with some oh, yeah. other, what was it called? Yeah. Where you like, made word clouds. Yeah. Mm. Another. Uh, Ugh, my word retrieval is not working <laughs> right now. I was going to oh. say another. Wordle. Thing. Wordle. 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 Yeah. Is that what it was? Yes. That's what it was. All right. I'm, yes. I believe another it. Another thing right. that we can link <laughs> in, the, um, in the chat box that is. I've, I've, I like this as a resource and I provide this to parents, but out of Cal Scotland, they have the app wheels um, and those are sort of divided into categories. So you can, you know, align, see which apps are going to benefit that target. I love those. Yes. I've seen those, we can before. Link those as well. Yeah. So think about when you look at this list or you pick out the different apps. Yes. You want to try out the ones that you think would be beneficial, but speak to if, if you're a parent speak to a classroom teacher to see if there's ones they might recommend or have used or special education but you might also just want to try one out at home but it's one that I really feel like in order for it to be successful there has to be a level of training and confidence with using that tool where they're not going to be experiencing frustration with it yeah okay all right so to finish off, we gave you our eight tips. We did it. Oh my goodness. Went off on a few tangents sometimes, but it really in a good way. Shared a few stories. <laughs> okay. This was actually a really fun episode for me, Casey. So I, I, I had a good time. And we have some books to suggest. Uh, so mm -hmm. if you're wondering, we'll, we'll link to articles, but we'll also have some books. So the first one, uh, tried and true. If you don't have this, you need to get it. Yeah. And that is bringing words to life. And I know that we always just say it's by Isabel Beck. However, there are more another than author. There are yeah. other authors, Margaret McKeon, McCowan, excuse me, and Linda Kukin. So that is robust vocabulary instruction once again the title is bringing words to life yeah. absolutely need that in your library i agree okay yep um another book series that we like is the vocabulary knowledge to practice and th this is really a series of books but it really breaks it down the oral language components into really nice manageable pieces. And so that's by Margie Gillis and Nancy. And I've forgotten. I don't know. Nancy, Nancy Chapel Eberhardt. There we go. And yes. that is from the Literacy How Professional Learning Series. Mm -hmm. But the title is Vocabulary Knowledge to Practice. And the Literacy How series is a collection of actually uh, five different yes. books in the series. Highly recommend all of them. 
but that one is great okay and the next one for all of you middle high school teachers out there i just picked up academic vocabulary for middle school students and this is research-based lists and strategies for key content areas Ooh, this is a really, really handy resource. You are going to love it. The nice thing, when you make, when you purchase the book and you open up the, the first few pages, you'll have a link to plug into your computer to download the printables to accompany this book, which is really, really helpful. I love that this book is not only going over, you know, obviously like the testing vocabulary that students really need, but implementation, how to explicitly teach those vocab strategies to your older students okay so that is going and you know what as i look through i mean sure these have our higher level vocabulary lists but i can see the strategies being implemented in much younger grades not yeah. just middle school but great book that was by jennifer wells green and april coxhead and then if you I mean, we always want to be mindful of playful language with our children and learning and being excited about new mm -hmm. words right so here one is this is a really good one called why do we say that 101 mm -hmm. idioms phrases sayings and facts a brief history on where they come from by scott matthews and if you are a total word nerd like casey and i we both are and you're curious as to where some we get some of these sayings and your children will be too, wow. then I highly recommend picking up Why Do We Say That and give you a little bit of historical context. And of course, leading back to my little story at the beginning, can you lend me a hand? Maybe you'll find the reason for that in that book. <laughs> I love okay. it. <laughs> All right. So we are wrapped up for today, but we will be back with episode 11. Just a reminder togetherinliteracy.com has everything you need to learn about all of the episodes. And we have a blog post for every single episode too, to highlight the most salient parts of these episodes to really give you some essential tips that you can take away and use with your students. Please, we would love for you to share this episode. Let us know what you think. As always, we truly value your ratings and your feedback on this podcast. So anytime you can offer that, take a minute and leave one for us. And we will see you next time. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Together in Literacy podcast today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a positive review and subscribe to the podcast. Each comment means a great deal to us. And if you have any questions for us that you would like answered on the Together in Literacy podcast, please contact us at support at togetherinliteracy.com. Be sure to visit the website www.togetherinliteracy.com for show notes, downloads, and goodies. Thank you for helping us spread the word about the Together in Literacy podcast. We'll see you next time.